everybody. It's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hiya. And today we got a couple things up on the agenda. The book for the day is Emperor of the Eight Islands, The Tale of Shikinoko. It's the other way around. The whole thing's oh. called The Tale of Shikinoko, and this particular one is Emperor of the Eight Islands. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, this is by Leanne Hearn. Uh, but first... Steve got the opportunity to test out a new, uh, what is it, uh, iTunes, iPhone game? Yeah, it's an iPhone app that's soon to come out on Android. It is Cthulhu Chronicles, which is the, um, I guess, choose-your-own-adventure um, that takes Call of Cthulhu um, scenarios and, and puts them on your iPhone. Now, there, uh, you played through one of the scenarios being Alone Against the Flames, correct? I played all the ones, but the new one that came out. A new one came out while um, after I had played through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it starts off with Alone Against the Flame, which is uh, something I played. That's a, that's an actual choose your own adventure style. It's a solo adventure mm -hmm. um, that Chaosium had put out, and it's it's the one that starts all of this. And uh, I guess maybe because um, I got it as a test, yeah. I, um, there, there were, it, 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 it came with five, um, scenarios mm -hmm. that the test did, and, uh, they are supposed to be played in order, um, right. the same character, but I didn't know that. So I just, I was like, Oh, I've already played alone against the flames. I'll play this other one. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was a little confusing <laughs> because they've set it up. Um, and these are, these are actually famous Call of Cthulhu scenarios like Paper Chase and um, um, what was the other, other good one? Sorry. Uh, well, Alone Against the Flames is a, a modern classic, I guess you can say. Anyway, um, so I wanted to play what I hadn't played before, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, Edge of Darkness. And that's the one I, I started off with. Um, and it was a little confusing just because the narrative had assumed that I had already played Alone Against the Flames. Ah, so all of these individual scenarios are linked with an overarching narrative? Exactly. So um, once once I um, I figured out what was going on with that, mm -hmm. I went back and played it through with one character all the way through, and it makes a lot more sense. And that's how it's supposed to be played. A little confusing, but that, I mean, I guess, you know, when you're testing something like that, you can you get the information that they give you. So it's like a solo campaign. Yes. Yes. Um, the ones that they have so far are Alone Against the Flames, Edge of Darkness, Dead Border, Eyes of the Law, Paper Chase, and The Good Professor, hmm. which is the new one that I have not played yet. Um, and the way they set it up is the app is free, and then you buy tickets, and the tickets allow you to play the different scenarios. I see. What's the what's the gameplay actually like? Um, it's like a choose your own adventure book with um, a random element. <laughs> so, uh, very similar to the way something like Alone Against the Flames works, if, or Alone Against the Dark, if you've played that one that um, was remade for seventh edition. Uh, you, you read the blurb, you make your decision, then it takes you to what the result of your decision is. If you have to fight or run or do something that has that random element. Um, there are, uh, I think there's 
five attributes that they use. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's health, sanity, uh, social skills, athleticism, and um, so they kind of uh, distill all your skills into just your attributes. And then um, each task, each check has a uh, difficulty level. Mm-hmm. So um, your success is going to depend on how high your attribute is versus the difficulty level of what you're trying to do. And it's randomized, and they show a little wheel turning, um, most of which is is uh, green, except for the part that's red. And if it lands in the green, you're cool. If it lands in the red, you fail. Okay. I will say that I played Alone Against the Flames a couple of times, um, like actual playing with a book, mm-hmm. um, and had never... Um, survived <laughs> and, and uh i have i survived twice playing it on here so maybe it's a little easier than your regular call of cthulhu scenario which i understand because you don't want um you want some sort of success to be readily available so people want to do the next one right or 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 or, or i've just learned my or maybe your dice my dice could suck, or I've learned my lessons and know how to and metagame a little bit and know what's going on in the world of Call of Duty. Well, yeah, dying twice generally helps you the third time you play. Right. But, uh, no, I mean, just in general, because I haven't played some of these scenarios. I, I played Alone Against the Flames, but um, I never played Paper. And a couple of them are new for this, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, but, you know come on, you, you know, what kinds of decisions allow you to survive and what kinds don't. Right, right. right. There is a certain degree of metagaming involved in Call of Cthulhu because, yes. you know, players players tend to be genre savvy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Certainly do. But, uh, yeah, if you like... What's the graphics Cthulhu, like? You like um, Lovecraftian Adventure, uh, I'd go ahead. The app is free, and then, you know, you spend what you want. It's not... Um, as addictive as I thought it would be. So uh, you could spend a lot of money. Um, I think a lot of the money you're ending, you're going to end up spending is going to be replaying. So like when you die, you want to play it again and, and live. Or they are developing new scenarios. Um, they, they actually published a schedule for when the new ones are coming out. New one, There's another one dropping next week, I think, on the 1st. Okay. So, and, and what do the scenarios run? Um, I don't know. I know you can buy tickets. So if you go on to the, the um, app page mm-hmm. and go to in-app purchases, um, it gives you a list of a large ticket bundle is $9.99. Small tickets bundle is $0.99. Cents. Medium tickets bundle is $4.99. And a giant tickets bundle is $19.99. My guess is it's a buck a, a, buck a pop. Right. With the large, you get 10 the small you get one, medium you get five, the giant you get twenty. And and what the scenarios each cost a certain amount of tickets? I'm I'm a, yeah, they each cost one ticket. These cost one ticket. Okay, so feasibly you could pay twenty dollars and play twenty scenarios. Right. It's um, it is by what's the name? Meta Arcade and they also have a uh, a tunnels and troll simulator as well, which I have not checked out. Yeah. Um, um, but if if you've played their tunnels and toll tunnels and toll, yeah, I feel like I'm driving down to Baltimore. <laughs> tunnels and trolls <laughs> scenarios, um, and you like them, then you you probably really really like the Call of Cthulhu. 
So uh, what are the graphics like? Oh, it, it, it's um, text. It's got that parchment style that the 7th edition books have mm -hmm. um, with text on it and then a picture. So this this not moving graphics. Okay, so not moving graphics. But... Yeah, so, so it's kind of like a, an updated version of the old text adventure game. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um, picture getting a choose-your-own-adventure book. That's Call of Cthulhu. And that is Cthulhu Chronicles by, what was the name of the publisher again? Meta Arcade. Meta Arcade. Uh, you can, I believe it released last week? Yeah. It. It's funny because it released the day after I got it. And I was having trouble when I first got it. It was crashing. Um, but then after it released as it's in its final form, um, I had no problem getting out. So nice, nice. All right, and you can pick that up at the App Store for iTunes. Yep, free, free. Get you some ticket bundles to pick up some scenarios, and, and it'll be soon. on soon. Android soon for Android. All right, now let's get to the main part of the show today. Tale of Shikinoko, book one, Emperor of the Eight Islands. I have my copy right here that I got from the Howard County Public Library. Nice. Which branch? Uh, Elkridge. Nice. The one that is right across the street from where I'm broadcasting. Oh, very nice. Emperor of the Eight Islands, of course. First book in the series. It is a Japanese-flavored fantasy novel. Uh, would you consider this to be like high, probably high fantasy? Given it's the, definitely given um, the prevalence of magic and sorcery. Yeah, I would say it's high fantasy. Um, there is definitely a lot of that sword and sorcery feel to it, mm -hmm. but there's definitely develops a clear um, enemy. It's not a, um, it's not as as random as like a sword and sorcery. Right. Right. There's a there's a certain aspect of destiny going on here. There's destiny. There's a lot of characters um, more than than you get in a in a sword and sorcery. Book. Yeah, and one of the things that really got me right from the beginning is we are talking about a 250 page novel uh, with a score of characters introduced. Um, each chapter is. From the point of view of a different character, and mm -hmm. so the characters associated with uh, there's just so many. But basically, what you have is there's very big tale of Genji influence going on. There definitely is. Um, I I was reading up on the on her um, her influences, and that's definitely part of of what what she was bringing to the table. You have two major clans. Um, who are vying for control of this kingdom of eight islands? Fantasy Japan, of fantasy Japan. I mean, uh, this is like like Middle Earth is fantasy Europe. Mm -hmm. This is fantasy. Yes, very much so. Um, we are introduced in the beginning to a character named Here we go. <laughs> Shikinoko. The... No, it's Kazumaru when we first meet him. Right. But he, he becomes Shikinoko. And he becomes Shikinoko, which is the child of the deer. He, um, yeah, so yeah, it starts out fairly typically like um, a, a high fantasy novel. Uh, he, he loses his father, tragically. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, it's because his father wanted to play Go with Tengu. Right. 
we we should also we should also mention that this young man Kazumaru is the son of a minor lord, right? And the heir apparent to his father's estate. Yes, um, much to the chagrin of his scheming uncle, right? Uh, who takes him hunting one day? He knows that this is a bad thing. Um, they run across a deer. And he's like, surround the deer. They try to surround the deer, and he realizes that his uncle's bow is pointed toward him. Right, as opposed to the deer. So, um, he, so he, he stumbles, falls down a cliff, lands on the deer, killing the deer. And uh, his uncle goes away thinking, oh, he's dead. I am now, I am now the lord of, mm-hmm. of uh, whatever. Now... Now it's also implied that the deer sacrificed itself. It threw yes. itself underneath yes. Kazumaru. He skins the deer. He takes the skull, the brain pan of it, uh, the upper portion of the skull, including the antlers. Uh, dries some meat. Tries to do the things he needs to do to survive. Right. And he wanders through the woods and meets a sorcerer, like a mountain ascetic, Shishoko. Shishoko. Shishoku. 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 Uh, who is a sorcerer, and over the course of months, it seems, uh, he is renamed Shikinoko, uh, and the skull he brought is worked into a very powerful magical item. Yes. And then there's this mysterious woman. Right. Who sleeps with him. Um, yeah, all is part of the ritual. It takes some, some, takes some sexy magic. Um, to get to get this skull going, they need the male. They need the female. They need the nature and everything to distill into the skull. Um, yeah, so it's it's definitely got that. But th- this is like the uh, the shamanism part of it because mm-hmm. there's definitely several forms of sorcery involved here. We have this this mountain magic, which is very shamanistic. Later on, we'll have. Um, Ritual magic from one of the uh, the bad guy, mm-hmm. the main villain who is um, Lord. Uh, what's the? It? He's the, the Prince Abbot. Yeah, the Prince Abbot. There you go, Lord Prince Abbot, uncle or brother to the Emperor, uncle to the heir. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of relationships that you need to kind of get straight in your head to kind to know what's going yeah. on. Yeah, there's definitely definitely a lot of uh, relationships. It's a complicated plot, but it it didn't intrigue me as much as it intrigued you. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. I, I but I like that kind of thing. Um, I had gotten away from high fantasy a lot because it seems to go over the same ground, right? Um, often um, with with. You know, Tolkien being the the pinnacle that everyone aspires to, you know, and every once in a while you get something that's a bit different, like Pawn of Prophecy or something like that. I enjoyed this because it definitely doesn't owe what it is to Tolkien. Right. Um, right. Like you said, it, it owes itself to things like Tale of Genji. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got that different flavor to it, but it's still got those elements that make it high fantasy. Right. Lots of characters, different relationships between the characters, um, keeping stuff straight. Lots of it's they're all Japanese names, so it's it's hard to keep them, you know, completely straight because a lot of them look alike. Mm-hmm. 
and um, perform, perform many of the same functions. For example, uh, Shisoku, who we had mentioned, the mountain sorcerer, is, uh, you know, uh, glancing through it, um, you know, you see Session, who is also a, uh, a sorcerer, a wise, he's more of a uh, wise man sorcerer. Mm. <laughs> but they perform the same, they have similar functions in the story, and you're reading it, and you see S, and you're just, it's, sometimes it's a little, okay, which one is that? Right. Which guy well, is that? Well, there's also, there's also, and, and then Shikanoko. So, right. you know, because she shortens it to Shika at yeah, times. Yeah. A lot of people have nicknames and given names and um, adult re- names, children's names, yeah. mm-hmm. which is, which is all conventions of, of Japan and, and China as well, uh, that you have multiple names that you're known by. Right. Uh, and, and it can get confusing when you have several characters with all starting with the same letter mm-hmm. and they're using more familiar, shorter terms. Right. It's, it's a lot like uh, reading like Dostoevsky where he, they, mm-hmm. you know, or the Russians, they do that a lot too. Right. right. Especially in conversation. Mm-hmm. So now, now the thing that gets me and this is, this is one of the reasons why I wasn't, a big a fan of this book as you were. Um, and it's because that it's so short for a novel. Um, and it's the first in the series. And there's so many relationships that I really don't think any one of the characters develops enough really by the, by the final page of the book, you know, it was really hard to say that I gave a damn about anybody. It, it, it's kind of funny because you know, I mean, I'm not saying that the characters are likable or unlikable. It's just that there's no, there was no um, nothing for me to grab onto as a, as an investment to continue reading. I think that this was written as one long book. And if you look in the back of your book, the right. publishing um, schedule for the series is printed right there. And it's April, 2016, June, 2016, August, 2016, September 2016. Right. So my feeling is she, she wrote this. Um, I think she wrote it as a prequel to another series that she had written. And the publisher was like, you know, that's going to be a thousand page book. Oftentimes in series, the first book is pretty much self-contained just in case. Right. Which is yeah. why I think it was chopped up like that. Right. Well, that's a, or, that's a distinct possibility. The, the other possibility is her other book, uh, her other series, which has far more um, uh, books in it than just this one, mm-hmm. um, was popular enough that they gambled that people were going to automatically buy this. Right. But just knowing the little amount that I know about publishers, probably. Mm. <laughs> I think they hedge their bets more. That was the second. That's the second thing. And it, it probably has something to do with the way it was published as four separate books. I felt like I was reading a 250-page prologue. There was no real conflict. I would have preferred myself a book that dealt with uh, the Prince Abbott schemes in more detail or focused more heavily on one, two, three characters rather than having five characters that were bouncing through. See, that, unfortunately, stuff like that is what makes bloated shitty series if you look at and i'm looking at the wheel of time mm-hmm. um which started i think that he wanted it to be a trilogy and it ended up um 
being 14 books, two or three of them, maybe even four of them were published posthumously. Right. Um, I think one of them was finished posthumously. Uh, like two of them were because they, they they split the last book into two. Right. Um, but I don't know if you've read the Wheel of Time. I've had the unfortunate pleasure of reading it, and and recently, <laughs> I think I tried years ago, and yes, yeah, I'd... because it it does exactly what you wanted this to do. It follows one or two characters per book. It gets into the minutia of plots. And um, it just it just got out of control. Well, I th- I think that all of this stuff. I think it was out of control that we had five characters that we were bouncing around through. I think that the the length of the book we could have gotten what is happening behind the scenes to the forefront. We could have focused a little bit more on Shikinoko and possibly Aki and Yoshi and and really. Those those four characters are the most important part. I don't think you should be privy privy to the machinations of the adversary in these books. Um, I think it takes away some of like the reveals later on because um, you don't know what Sauron's thinking. I'm mean, just to use no, you don't know what Sauron's thinking. You get some guesses from Gandalf. You get some guesses from Gandalf, but you know Tolkien turns around and tells you what the Hobbit had for breakfast six years ago. <laughs> Twice. Twice. Yeah, second breakfast. Right, exactly, and and that that's unnecessarily unnecessary padding. Yeah. Oh no, and and the walking, <laughs> and all the walking, all the traveling in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, there, there, and back again—a a, a story in seventy million footsteps. But um, I think. That and and I cheated a little because I started reading the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they she definitely follows um the the storylines. And the reason, like you're seeing characters that that look minor in this book, mm-hmm. um, while you're following what happens to them, uh, like like uh Kiyoyori, because it, it you get a lot of Kiyoyori in this, is is um what ends up happening to him in the next book mm-hmm. becomes part of, of the, the plot, the, the threads that are being woven together. Now, one of the other things that this book, you see, you, you liked it a lot and you mentioned how, how fresh and original uh, it was to you. Now I have read back when uh, third edition came out of D and D Wizards of the Coast had also gotten a license to uh, the Legend of Five Rings setting. Right. And Wizards of the Coast, TSR, have for years published Dungeons and Dragons books. And they released a series, a small series of books dealing with the Rokugan setting. And it was a trilogy of novels uh, dealing with the Iron Throne. and, And so that, it kind of woke that memory in my mind. I'm not saying, you know, the quality is the same. I would probably want to read those books about as much as I wanted to read. Of course. Drizzt <laughs> or Dragonlance or any of those tie-ins. Right. Um, exactly. So they're not known for excessive quality, although I personally enjoyed um, the War of the Spider Queen series. Now, is that the one that, um, that Ice-T read? Now that I'm curious about, <laughs> I would, right. I, I'm curious to hear. 
iced tea read a D&D novel. <laughs> well, but yeah, that's that's kind of what it reminded me of is the um, the Wizards of the Coast Rokugan books. Just a, a, the next shelf up. So if you consider, you know, <laughs> all those all that tie in RPG fiction to be like your, your bottom shelf, your vodka in a big plastic gallon bottle. And then, you know, the next shelf up has the, the, the middle range stuff. This is the stuff that, that everyone um, says is good. Right. This like, is like, this, this is, is your stolies. Right, this is the stolies and the smearing off and stuff like that of, of this type of fiction, you know? And then of course, on the top shelf, you have, uh, Tale of Genji. You, know, you have Tale of Genji, you have, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, you know, which is a massive book. And for those of you listening to the audio, yeah, I just happen to have Romance of the Three Kingdoms sitting on the desk. <laughs> just, yeah, just randomly. <laughs> it's now, actually been sitting on the desk for about uh, two weeks now. I have it up at work. Now, one of the things I did like about, um, you had mentioned that you didn't think the characters were fleshed out enough. Right, right. I actually had the exact opposite feeling um, you thought they were fleshed out too much? No. I thought that they were um, actually more realistic than most fantasy characters that I've ever um, encountered. Because, and you had touched upon this, you didn't know who to root for, because at, at this point in the novel, there's really nobody to root for, because everyone's got a little bit of um, good in them and, do, and does good things, and a little bit of bad and does shitty things. Um, right. And it isn't like the hero um, is immune to that either. Mm-hmm. Um, as, especially if you look what uh, Shikanova does at the end. Right. Right. So, um, and, and you don't know who you're rooting for at this point, because like I said, everyone has faults and, and everyone has um, positive traits. It's, it's nothing's cut and dry um, as to what's going on. And the only thing you have to go on is um, what the status quo is. And there's people who are fighting for that status quo and people who are fighting against that status quo. And you have to decide for yourself at this point, um, whether you are for or against the status quo. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously later on, some of your opinions are going to change and they're going to be made for you because um, as as the characters get sifted, um, the cream rises to the top and the, and the dirt <laughs> falls to the bottom. Right, right. But and like, that, but, and that, that's, an, that's I would say that's an accurate assess, assessment for any any series, whether it's a fantasy series, a crime series, or anything like that that features this many characters. That yeah, you know, I suppose you have to put the work into it. Um, you know, invest yourself into you know reading it in full. Right. Um, but really by the time I finished this book, I just didn't, wasn't interested in it because, you know, there was there, none of the, none of the hooks that were put out there set, um, as a reader for me. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and there are a lot of hooks set out there. I'm sure that, you know, you can think of like two or three story threads that have really captured your attention over the course of the book. And, For me, it just it just didn't. I mean, there's something something happened along the way, and you know the hook just kind of fell out. I think I think my interest in Shikinoko, uh, you know, faded 
toward the end of the book, you know, what interest I had been developing in that character. Um, you know, Kiyoyori, I was kind of interested in that character. Uh, but really, I I was perfectly fine with uh, what happened to Kiyoyori being the end of his character arc. It's not, though. But, you know, yeah, and they brought him back in a, in a way um, that I was just like, yeah, okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> I was, seriously. Okay, I'm going to say it because it's a two-year-old book. They made they put his spirit in the fucking horse. No, they put his spirit in an unborn horse. In an unborn horse. So, okay, there we go. I mean, as far as as far as putting the character someplace where he, you know, he's there, but you could excuse the fact of the lack of activity. That's probably the best way to do it. Well, I mean, because you have however long a horse takes to gestate, you know, before this character actually enters the world again. So you can figure out how this character is going to interact being in the body of a horse or. Is he going to be a strange horse man? You could tell what the horse is called. Right. Um, the horse is um, going to be tan because all the characters from all four. And that, another argument for the it was cut up is the dramatis persona list is the same in all the books. Right. So there are some mild spoilers in that list. <laughs> kind of, but there's not really a lot of information. Yet. Right. They're, they're who they are, but, you know, it's like, wait, this this is Sir not appearing in this novel, so right. they must come into play later. But there's still a lot of play. Yeah. So, uh, but he became. I mean, his spirit was ready to move on, and it was because of Shikinoko and his um, shamanistic powers that drew him back. And the and the only available vessel was the horse. Right. Well, it, not just that is that uh, his manservant took his place. That he it was his time to die, but his manservant took his place and. Yes. Ended up crossing over and he has to be sent back. Yes, his servant. <laughs> Sorry, sir. Somebody <laughs> took your seat. Get off the fucking plane. Yeah, well, it, he probably did him a favor because um, if he was going to get uh, reborn, it was, it was probably going to do a little bit worse than a horse. Yeah, possibly. Uh, he, see, he's one of those characters that had just. He, did shitty things and then great noble things. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that, that really, I guess, intrigues the right word uh, that intrigued me about this is how usually when you read something that is um, especially Japanese or Chinese mm -hmm. and, and you're dealing with no, the nobility and everyone acts honorably. Right. Um, this it's all scheming. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's all backstabbing and scheming, and it, it is the opposite of the um, of the stereotype that you get. Well, no, you get the you get the stereotype in full because because even in this novel, it, everyone has two faces. Yes, uh, there's everyone has a duplicitous nature. Um, I suppose you could interpret it as being kind of a, a interplay of yin and yang. Uh, but I really think that, that that boils down to a Western dualist. No, I, th I, th I think it's, it's you have a public face and a private yeah. face. And, mm -hmm. and you, get the, you get a lot more of the private um, face in this than you normally would be exposed to. Yes, we all know that, that in, in these in, in traditional 
um, movies and novels that these they're they're scheming and they're out for their own advantage. But you here you get like the the naked lunch version of it where it's at the end of the fork, where like um, the the one guy is looking at his his superior and saying yes, of course, and inside thinking you're a fucking bastard. Yep, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you have you know how things appear. And that's one of the themes in the book itself is that right. appearance is not always reality. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the whole source of Shikanoko's power. Mm -hmm. um, you know, very Shikanoko as a character has a little bit of, of that kind of Don Juan Carlos Castaneda type of vibe going on there that he's just kind of being like sucked along into all this crazy shit. He is. He's and he's got. So far, we've seen three types of magic. I guess you call it mm. or spirituality. You have the uh, shamanistic mountain magic, right? Um, which is the first magic he had. Then you have the more, um, I, I guess, the 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 Taoist magic of of. Um, well, what you have, what you have is you of, have uh, uh, Shishin, right, and, and which is passed directly to him. Mm -hmm. You know, he actually, there's a, not, you're going to learn how to do this. Right. Here it is. It's yours. I ha no longer have it. Right. It's like, uh, if Obi-Wan like coughed up his force sensitivity into Luke Skywalker. Right. Instead of him being that way. Right. And um, then you have the third type of magic, which is, um, the Prince Abbott's form of magic, which is the ritualistic, um, type of magic court magic, right. I or, guess. Or, yeah, well, uh, if you want to explain it in like standard D and D terms, it's druidic magic, uh, right. very focused on the wild and the just energy and power of nature, which is considered evil. Right. And then you have, or even like a, a, a sorcerer, right? Like a sort like sorcery, but, but most of his magic is centered in the natural. Right. Uh, you have the Prince Abbott's magic who is mostly centered in the divine. He's, yeah, he's he's a he's a he is he's pretty much a cleric. Um, and interestingly enough, that the his particular magic is very similar to a uh, a version of the Shingon Buddhist sect, um, which is very illustrious in Japan. And then you have Shushin. you have Session, um, which I, I I know a Zen priest who was ordained by that name. It's kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> she um, session is kind of in the middle. He's 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 the balance. He's his texts are both you know natural. He believes in herbal uh, remedies and all of this like uh, the natural world. right. And then he also has on the other side of it, he has this highly stylized ritual magic that he also does. So he's a and the, the the wild sorcery of the mountain is more kind of an off the cuff kind of magic is like uh, yeah we're kind of making this up as we go along right it's and more. the Prince Abbots is highly formalized uh, requiring you know certain recitations of certain magical phrases um, ad hoc magic right and then you have session who's kind of kind of there in the middle and session is really. For the greater part of the book, he is this Merlin kind of character. Mm -hmm. And the Prince Abbott is the schemer, the evil wizard. 
oil can Harry. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, the only thing that she left out was the him twirling right. his mustache, right. probably because he's a priest and he couldn't grow up. <laughs> Yeah. And the Prince Abbot suddenly regretted his decision to become a priest as he had no mustache to twirl. He had to twirl his um his right-hand man's burned face. Yeah. So Probably. and you have something and you have and you have uh Shikinoko who has now been indoctrinated into all three forms. Yes. And and it's funny because all three of them had their own agendas, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, for for Shikinoku. And it, it isn't until after the end, so going into the next book where he's starting to... Where he's starting to master all three forms of bending? Well, no. no. <laughs> where he's starting to make his own decisions instead of reacting to the decisions of others. Right. Which is what he ends up doing even... Um, even in the beginning, when he falls from the cliff and lands on the deer, he's reacting to mm. his uncle. Um, well, and, and I, I think that starts toward the end of this book um, because he makes that conscious decision. He could have, he didn't know that that was Aki and the crown prince. No, but then when he puts the, the mask back on, he's immediately back under the Prince Abbot's control. Right. Um, but, you know, well, you'll never know because you won't read it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but um, he, he starts to, to learn more and, uh, and starts to become his own person. All right. And that wraps it up for the tale of Shikinoko book one, Emperor of the eight islands. Uh, it is widely available wherever fine books are sold and or stored. Or borrowed. Or borrowed. And uh, until next time, keep 30 luck points. Yeah.